0: Welcome to the Hackberry House of Chosun. My name is Bob, and I'm reading today from a book written by Charles Bridges, who was a leader of the Evangelical Party in the Church of England. He died in 1869, and it's a commentary on the book of Proverbs. We're going one proverb at a time, that is, one chapter at a time, and he writes... uh, a lot of commentary on a particular chapter, and so we're just reading that as we go through. Now, chapter 3, we can't do it one sitting. It goes a lot longer than chapters 1 and 2 have gone. You will need your Bible. At least it will be very helpful if you will open to the book of Proverbs, chapter 3, verse 1. My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart. Bridges says, this is not given like a stern command, My son, it is our father's voice speaking. This is the endearing persuasiveness of a promise. Having told us to search for wisdom, he now calls us to put this into practice when he says, do not forget my teaching. The deliberate forgetfulness of the heart rather than a lapse of memory is is implied here. In your heart, as as the Ark of the Covenant was kept in the tabernacle, We must keep God's commands in our heart. Indeed, no laws except God's laws bind the heart. All obedience that is acceptable to God starts here. The heart is the first thing that wanders away from God, and it is also the first thing that returns to God. This is a crucial principle. All religion without this is only religion in name. Even if it is practiced in a thousand different ways, it is bound to fail. Even if you carried out kind deeds every second of the day, if your heart is not alive so that it can keep God's commands, the following rebuke will ring in your ears that says, The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me? Isaiah 1.11. Delight and perseverance in carrying out God's will flows from God's grace, Working in our hearts. Verse 2 For they will prolong your life many years and bring you prosperity. We have an obligation laid on us, and we benefit from obeying God. The reward of obeying God from the heart is a long and happy life, the best thing that can happen on earth. A life prolonged for many years is promised to the righteous. And this can apply to earth as well as to heaven, as the Father sees fit. Verse 3, let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Here, love and faithfulness are the basis of our salvation. Also, these two graces should always be held together. As F. Taylor has commented, the lack of one of these graces buries the commendation of the other. Such a person may be loving to the poor without being faithful to God. Such a person may be faithful but have no love in his heart. As Bishop Sanderson said in one of his sermons, as a rich sparkling diamond adds both value and luster to a gold ring, So do these virtues, love and faithfulness, bring extra glory to the crowns of the greatest monarchs. But these virtues must not be just used occasionally. They must never leave you. You must bind them like jewels around your neck. You you must write them, not on stone tablets, but in your heart. Verse 4 Then you will win favor. And a good name in the sight of God and man. God is not in your debt, but nobody serves God to no avail. We see the truth of this verse in the example of Joseph in Egypt, or David in the family of Saul, and the early Christians with the people around them. What is better than to defeat reproach by consistent godliness? What is more acceptable to God or more edifying to the church? Scripture links God's favor with man's favor. This was true of the Holy Child. Verse 5. This is the pole star for a child of God. Faith in His Father's providence, promises, and grace. This trust is not the mere cold assent of enlightened judgment. It is trust with all your heart. It is a childlike, unwavering, confidence in our Father's well-proved wisdom, faithfulness, and love. He is truth itself. Therefore, He wants us to take Him at His word and to prove His word to the very limit of His power. But our trust must not only be complete, it must be exclusive. No other confidence, no confidence in the flesh can exist alongside it. Man, with all his pride, feels that he wants something to lean on. As a fallen being, he naturally leans on his own understanding and on himself. Human power is his idol. His understanding is his God. Many people would prefer to have a lack of principle rather than a lack of talent. This is the history of man from the fall on. This is the lamentable sin of every person created by God. Do we need to call this the sin of youth? How rare it is to see the younger submitting to the elder. If advice is sought, it is not just to confirm what has already been decided. Those who refuse to lean on their own understanding are those who trust in the Lord. For they are trusting in His divine power and are using it as a lamp So they can find their way. The Christian, on his knees, as if he throws away his own understanding, confesses that he is completely unable to find the way by himself. But observe how he behaves. He takes trouble to improve his mind, he conscientiously follows its dictates. In this way, practical faith strengthens, not destroys its power. So it is our clear duty not to neglect our understanding, but to cultivate it diligently. In a world where knowledge abounds, ignorance is the fruit of laziness. So lean not on your own understanding. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Self-dependence is foolishness, rebellion, and ruin. The great folly of man in trials, as Dr. Owen has rightly remarked, is leaning to or on his own understanding and counsels. What is the result of this? Whenever in our trials we consult our own understanding or listen to our own reason, even though they appear to be good, the principle of living by faith is stifled and we will in this way be let down by our own counsels. Verse 6. The next thing to note is that our trust should be constant in all your ways. Acknowledge Him. Take one step at a time and make sure that each step is under God's direction. Always make your plans in total dependence on God. It is nothing short of self-idolatry to imagine that we can carry out even the ordinary matters of daily life without God's counsel. God loves to be consulted and therefore Take all your difficulties to Him. Before you consult your friends, consult God in all your ways. This includes the small things as well as the big things. In all your concerns, temporal or eternal, let God be supreme. Have we not all found the unimaginable peace of taking to God things that seem too small or personal to be entrusted to the most confidential ear? In this way, Abraham acknowledged God. Wherever he pitched his tent for himself, he always built an altar for God. He will make your paths straight. If we go to the Lord every morning in true humility, knowing that we do not know how to order our day, light will come down to us. We're not looking for new revelations or visible signs. Study the word with prayer and note How God's Spirit sheds light on it. Make sure that your will is ready to move in the direction God indicates. No step well prayed over will bring ultimate regret. Now verse 7. This warning against self-confidence is closely linked to the preceding verses. The person who is wise in his own eyes is the person who leans on his own understanding. That kind of wisdom is foolishness and self-delusion. Even a non-Christian could remark, I suppose that many might have attained to wisdom had they not thought they had already attained it. And that was spoken by the secular Seneca in the Roman Empire. Throw that kind of wisdom away and let your wisdom be to fear the Lord and shun evil. There's a striking link between the fear of the Lord and the fear of sin. Where God is honored, sin is hated, loathed, resisted. It lives, but it is condemned to die. It clings to the child of God, but his heart will shun it. It often makes the body ill, and always makes the soul ill. Verse 8 Exercising self denial and godly discipline will bring health to your body and revive your soul verse 9 a worldly person finds this to be a hard precept read it verse 9 but for god's servant it is a privilege to put to one side part of his wealth and label it this is for god giving the first fruits of all your crops was the way that god's redemption out of egypt was acknowledged should we have been redeemed from sin satan death and hell should we who have Been redeemed from all of this? Deny this claim? As Bishop Hall has said, Well, may we think our wealth is our due, when we really owe our very selves to God. We must honor the Lord, not ourselves. We should do this in a spirit of renouncing self. Have no doubt that the Lord will add his own seal of approval to this. Those who honor me, he said, I will honor. Verse 11. And yes, we are skipping verse 10. Go to verse 11. Prosperity and adversity are part of our present situation. Each can honor the Lord. In prosperity, this can be done by consecrating our wealth to the Lord. In adversity, this can be done by being humble and cheerful in whatever the Lord sends us. As Bishop Patrick has written, In prosperity, it is well to expect discipline. And if it is the Lord's pleasure, do not let this make you doubt God's gracious providence. In no other way does the Lord act more like a father toward us than in this. It is wonderful to be addressed as my son at any time, but most of all when we experience the Lord's discipline. Our corruption is never so evident and our graces are never so apparent as when we are being disciplined by the Lord. We need this as much as we need our daily bread. Children of God are still children of Adam who have Adam's will, pride, independence, and waywardness. We especially need God's grace in this so that we do not become hardened or despondent. Some people resent God's rebuking them. Others faint under its weight. So do not give way to heartless despondency or anxious impatience. Verse 12, but these rules imply much more than something that is just negative. Instead of resenting God's rebuke, we're to be like the Son who delights in it. Always remember that you are under the Father's discipline, so do not resent it. But hang on to His rebuking hand and pour out your soul into His heart. Kiss the rod. Acknowledge that it is humbling but also enriching. Expect a richer grace from sustaining strength than from the affliction being removed. The Lord's discipline is like that in a family, not in a school, let alone in a prison. The Lord corrects His children and does not treat them as criminals. I love the rod of my heavenly Father, exclaimed the saintly Fletcher. How gentle are the stripes I feel, how heavy those I deserve. As Bishop Hall once prayed, O God, I have made an ill use of your mercies, if I have not learned to be content with your discipline. Never is Christ more precious to us than in the middle of discipline. Verse 13. Who does not admire this glowing picture of happiness? The wisdom of this world can give no such happiness. Blessed is the man who finds wisdom where he possibly least expected it, being disciplined by the Lord. David found God's house of correction to be a school of instruction, said Trapp. Under all circumstances, however, prayerful diligence in searching for wisdom ensures success. The naturally wise man is a fool when it comes to heavenly wisdom, but the man of prayer gains understanding verse 14 here the wise man himself enriched with silver and gold points out to us a more profitable merchandise verse 15 this is the search for the pearl of great price that is more precious than rubies see also philippians 3 4 to 8 complete happiness will never be experienced unless this is in your mind the man who doubts falls short of this Determined perseverance wins the prize. And finally for today, verse 16. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Note how this heavenly queen wisdom dispenses her blessings. Her right hand presents the promise of both worlds, the rich enjoyment of the world's lawful comforts, and the yet higher joy of serving the Lord and His Church, a privilege for which the Apostle Paul, was content to be detained from heaven for a while. Her left hand offers earthly riches and honor, in so far as they are good for her children. But even when they shine most brightly, they are only a faint shadow of wisdom's more durable riches and the honor of a heavenly crown. Amen for today. That's it. We'll finish next time. Chapter 3 of Charles Bridges' commentary on Proverbs. Thank you so much for listening. Do look around the site. We have 35 plus 3500 plus audios featuring some of the church's great preachers, persecution stories from North Korea in English and Korean, Bible studies on a number of subjects, and a blog. Just look around. I think you'll find something that will bless you. If you desire more fellowship, consider buying one of my books at Amazon.com or contact me. It's bob.j.faulkner.72 at gmail.com. And I'll be glad to share details of our Saturday evening Zoom meeting for men, 7 o'clock Central USA. And our Tuesday noon meeting for men and women. Get in touch with me. We'd love to have you in our little fellowship. It's a blessing. I mean it. It is truly a blessing. Well, thank you so much. This is the Hackberry House of Chosun. And this audio is being released on the 24th of January, 2023. Lord willing, we get to talk again real soon. Bye-bye.